welcome back to the Enterprising Podcast. My name is Chantal Costello and I'm Marketing and Project Executive in Westbic and I'm your host for today. I'm delighted to be joined here in our Galway office in Platform 94 and Review by Margaret Ray, Founder and CEO of Connery Innovation. Today we'll be speaking about the early stages of starting Connery Innovation, their problems, pitfalls, challenges and supports that have enabled Connery Innovation to grow. So you're very welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Chantal, for the invitation to be here today. And that's great, Margaret. So if you want, we can start by briefly outlining your business, what you guys do and your business ambitions. Yeah, sure. So um, Conry Innovation is all about pest management and salmon aquaculture. Um, and our primary target in that is the elimination of uh, sea lice. So sea lice are these ectoparasites, parasites on the outside of salmon. And what we want to do is we want to solve that problem. Yeah. So how will solving that problem benefit your target market or what is the long term benefit? Okay. So I suppose the in uh, salmon industry, uh, the salmon production industry, since really since its conception way back about 50 years, it's, it's really only about 50 years old. So it's a very young industry. Uh, is the first thing I would say, but ever since it started, um, there's been one pest that's always been there persistently throughout that time, and that's the sea lice. Mm -hmm. And whatever different types of treatments or different types of methods that they've used to try and um, uh, control the numbers of sea lice um, have not, you know, they've kind of failed in one way or another, and, and really the failure is down to the biology of the sea lice. The sea lice themselves have found ways to overcome uh, many of these various different things. They're very wily little things altogether and stuff like that. They're crustaceans, um, and they found ways to overcome um, the, all of those kind of treatments and, and different types of methods and things and stuff like that. Um, it's farming at sea, so it's it's difficult, you know, um, and the water changes in and out uh, and that type of thing as well. So the farms are prone to any passing parasite that can come in into the farm and then just by the very nature of farming, you know, it's a, a captive population of, of, of salmon and that type of thing and so those parasites will thrive in that environment. And of course the, the salmon producer is really hugely concerned with its stock and will do everything that they can to uh, alleviate any of the um, the infestation, for instance, on on the site itself, um, for the betterment of their of their salmon. You know, so they're really concerned about it. Okay. But it's been really, really persistent um, over the last fifty years, and in the last decade or so, it's the number one biological uh, issue that's uh, really preventing the industry from grow growing. It's a regulated pest. Uh, and as such then um, the, the permits and licenses that people get, uh, they're inspected for sea lice and if sea lice are above a certain number, they, it's a mandated, they have to act. Um, and so they either treat or they use different mechanisms uh, in which to keep those numbers low. Okay. Um, and, and because of that, uh, most licenses are licenses for a particular biomass at sea. Um, and I guess one of the regions in the world where um, salmon aquaculture is really very well advanced, is in Norway. So Norway produces about 50% of uh, global salmon. Uh, Chile uh, produces about 28% of um, global salmon. And then you have places like Scotland at 7%, Canada at about 4.5%, um, the Faroe Islands and Iceland more or less around the same, around 3.5 each or 3.4 each. Um, Ireland comes in at very low on that table. Um, we're, I think it's about 0.1% of global production comes from Ireland. 
uh, Tasmania and New Zealand produce the, the, the remainder at about 2.5 thereabouts. So where does Conri Innovation actually come in? So Conri uh, is, our, our target is to solve that problem. So we're developing a technology to solve that problem basically and manage it reliably. So at the moment, um, the farms are, are treated episodically as the numbers are increased, uh, our, our sea lice are increasing within the stock. The farmers are keeping an eye on that as, as it goes along and uh, they will treat to maintain those numbers at a low, low level, okay. but it's episodic. So you will treat today, but all you need is one a female, egg-bearing female to get through. Uh, out of that treatment and then it sets up another infestation you know six depending on water temperature and the time of the year uh, it can be anything from as little as let's say three to four weeks to maybe uh, six to eight weeks before you have to treat again and the treatments themselves um, you know have an effect on the fish too um, and also cleaner fish that may be present in the in the um, the salmon pen so there is a biological control introduced in that, uh, into the salmon pens as well and that's uh, cleaner fish so these are cute little fish that come along and they eat off the they graze uh, sea lice off the surface of yeah. the salmon so the salmon kind of parks itself and they graze away on it and then the salmon swims off again and that type of thing uh, and so it's like a parking station almost you know getting service washed down or whatever by the, the cleaner fish um, and so uh, the cleaner fish work well up to a certain biomass but beyond uh, uh, as the salmon are growing it, they're not as effective and that type of thing so you know different treatments are used and uh, generally it'll be a, a combination of treatments because the sea lice are very wily um, they evolve according to different types of treatments that are used though so nowadays people use a combination of treatments so they won't use the same treatment twice okay. uh, in order to overcome it in Ireland they use fresh water mainly um, Irish producers produce organic salmon so they're not interested in anything with chemicals or any of that type of thing so instead they use fresh water uh, in Ireland okay. um, so that's kind of the scene so it's kind of episodic treatments but what we want to do is we want to be able to put something um, that will reliably control it so you're not constantly going how, how high are my levels of sea lice this okay. this week this month you know that type of thing are we going to need to treat um, the cost of treatments is very high they're balancing the, the cost of these treatments against uh, how heavy are the fish right now should we harvest now or not you know because the treatment is so so expensive so what we want to do is we want to put something in the salmon cage that will reliably control those numbers so that the farmer at the end of the day has peace of mind. They're not constantly worried or trying to um, do an early harvest. They're losing money if they do that. And then also for the uh, health and welfare for the salmon and for the cleaner fish themselves as well. And, and of course, there are tensions between, I'm sure you've heard of, of tensions between, let's say, the angling community for wild salmon mm -hmm. and, uh, let's say, the um, farms and that type of thing. If we can truly contain um, the sea lice problem, we believe that you know the relationships between the two will actually improve as well. So okay. it's a bit of an all-round winner if we can help uh, yeah. in, in that, in that le level. And I'm interested in how you got into this space. So do you have a background in marine biology or... Did you always 
plan on setting up your own business or? Well, I was always interested in setting up a business, that's for sure. And I was always looking for a problem that needed to be solved that would be worth my while, I guess, and that type of thing that would be a profitable business at the end of the day. So um, I I was a researcher in um, the Marine. I've been working in the Marine area now for the last 15 years or thereabouts. And I set up a bioassay through the Biodiscovery program. It was Beaufort by discovery funding administered I suppose by the Marine Institute and given to a couple of different universities to do this by discovery so by discovery was all about trying to find bioactive compounds from algae from anything in the, in the water uh, other than fish basically so looking at sea urchins looking at sponges looking at a whole range of different things so I set up a couple of different assays lo- looking at extracts from from these organisms and putting them against human cancer cells and other human diseases. But then I said, oh, well, we can do something for fish diseases surely as well. So I started looking at different kind of bacterial diseases for fish and then also for sea lice. So uh, I set up a sea lice uh, bioassay and those little creatures really fascinated me. They were like, oh my goodness, I I couldn't believe, you know, um, how fascinating and dreadful these things are. (laughs) And that type of thing. So I had an interest at that time, but um, the research life, research careers, you're existing on grant money and that type of thing. So I was coming towards the end of the grant f- uh, from that perspective, and I, I, you know, I had to look around for another job. And I said, um, at the end of this fixed term contract, if this hasn't been solved, I'll go for it. Then at that stage, okay. So um, that kind of came along with COVID, at more or less at the same time. So you know, the world shut down and the whole lot and I started thinking well now is as good a time as any. That's when I really started looking into it and um, I joined the New Frontiers program. So um, Tony O'Kelly here in uh, Galway. So that was fantastic to get onto that program uh, because that was my first brush and look at a business. Is there a business in this? You know from a research perspective of course there's lots to do in research but is there a business there? That New Frontiers program was absolutely invaluable about it and uh, I love the model that Tony used as well uh, looking at um, the lean canvas with uh, Ash Maury and just that focus on the customer 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 and that really helped me develop the idea that yeah there's something worthwhile investigating here uh, from a business perspective and I keep putting it on the business not on the research side of things I felt sure that I could come up with something that would help uh, in that area so um, looking at the, the business end and then um, slowly developing over time, okay, this is what we should really be looking at in terms of the technology that we're developing. And then um, once phase one finished, I then um, was very happy to join the Empower uh, program, also run uh, at the time by GMIT. It was funded differently, it was funded for a European program. And that was fantastic to to work with uh, Sandra Nolan and the, and the team, uh, Mara, Maria uh, Staunton as well in, in um, Mayo, part of GMIT at the time, and Sandra Nolan, the program lead for the whole thing. So that was a program that was uh, solely focused on female entrepreneurship. So again, that was fantastic in, different, in a totally different way. Um, so that was looking at, I suppose, obstacles to female entrepreneurship and kind of 
saying, look, there's no real obstacle there, you know what I mean? Like, you know, just, you know, uh, go one, two, three, you know, step forward and that type of thing. And while from a financial perspective, there is, of course, a big barrier in that very little uh, venture capital money goes to female uh, entrepreneurs. But it's a whole building confidence uh, side of things and stuff like that. With that program, it was just really fantastic. And, you know, again, with the New Frontiers program and with the Empower program, you're building your network all the time as well. And you're you're meeting very like-minded people and, you know, you're sparking ideas off each other and stuff like that. And you, you get to hear about loads of different, let's say, grants that are out there or lots of different supports for business. And that's really critical when you have virtually no money <laughs> to put into the business on your own hard graft. So all of those little bits and pieces are just fantastic. and. I think there's just that kind of camaraderie as well in, in the network, you know, and kind of helping to support each other and kind of going, well done, you know, once you're you're getting somewhere because you're all by yourself, yeah. you know, and it's very easy, I suppose, to get lost and downhearted and, you know, every time you put in for something and you don't get it, you know, and somebody else will come along and, you know, they'll pick you up the next day mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, and I suppose the critical thing is that you learn from each other as well. So I might see an opportunity that would be better for somebody else. I'd pass it on to them. You know, you're constantly, uh, what's the word, paying it forward? Is yeah, that is that the right thing? I think that's vitally important. Well, I suppose we've kind of touched on the supports that you've received there. So um, that's, I think, critical, especially when, you know, you're starting out and you don't even know what supports are available. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested in what you touched on there in relation to the barriers for female entrepreneurs. And did you face any barriers yourself? I've kind of got a mentality that I'll always put in for something. But I guess uh, the biggest barrier for me was um, since literally secondary school education, I, I always had a, uh, let's say, a leaning and an inclination for the sciences. But in my secondary school education, I had to make a choice between doing business and or doing science. Okay. Um, and so I became very specialised almost early on in that, sure, I had mathematics, English, Irish, you know, history, geography, all of that kind of thing, but I'd never had business. Yeah. And I had none of that language of business. And that certainly made me nervous. And um, I was quite anxious about it. Um, early on. Now as you move through the various different stages and the different programs and things and I would encourage anybody out there who's considering becoming an entrepreneur to look up their New Frontiers program because that was invaluable. You know you get access to people that you know you would never get access to otherwise um, and they'll recommend different things, reading material and stuff like that you know and even a glossary of terms and stuff. So you know for me reading kind of a financial spreadsheet was like you know, uh, yeah, it was okay. I might understand some things, but I wouldn't know the, you know, how things are linked and stuff like that. So, to understand, you know, if you're looking at a spreadsheet, you know, is that a good business? Is that not a good business? What's happening? You know, and all of that kind of thing. So, I was very anxious about those those kind of aspects. And I must say, actually, through the Empire side of things, there was a great talk. Um, I can't remember his last name, but Patrick, I think, was his first name. And he went through kind of financials and things. And basically, he was saying, you know, when it comes to pricing at the end of the day, you've got to cover your overheads, you've got to cover your salaries and all the rest and that type of thing. And then you've got to make a profit. And that all of that goes into your pricing. 
And that was, you know, you know, intuitively you feel it's right, but putting it down on paper and working it all out and all the rest and, and that type of thing. Now I'd done budgets for research mm -hmm. beforehand and stuff like that, but it's different for business. A budget and research is one thing, a budget for a business is something totally different yeah. and that type of thing. So that was a great learning for me. Um, and then just getting access to reading lists, just making myself a lot more comfortable. And then later on, I entered into a competition called the um, Women Tech EU Award. Um, and even at that, uh, I was used to writing research proposals and that type of thing, but not necessarily from the business perspective. So writing that, um, any grant proposal normally takes a long time. So like the minimum anyone should be thinking about is like three weeks is the minimum to do any kind of proposal properly um, to up, up to three months, really, depending on, I suppose, how large um, a grant or any kind of proposal is and that type of thing. So I put in for this, I spent three weeks solidly um, at the beginning actually of the Empower program um, uh, applying for that and then I forgot about it. Once it was put in I forgot about it and the, and there was an announcement made in March then you know to me now I was one of the three in Ireland that were successful which was fantastic. So through the, uh, the Women Tech EU Award I had access to coaches so the coaches that I chose were coaches in um, kind of the finance side of things. Okay. Um, so I got a couple of great sessions with, with uh, coaches uh, during that and also to mentors as well. Uh, so that was fantastic. Um, and also through the New Frontiers, I must say, you get, you get access to those as well, you know. With my coach anyway, with, through the uh, Women Tech EU, we've continued together since, you know, and I contact her on, on different things, you know either informally or formally, you know, from a one business to another business. And that's been really um, good for me and really getting to grips with, with the facts and, you know what I mean, the yeah. figures, the financial facts, if you like. Okay. And then, so you went on then after that, uh, winning that award and congratulations, by the way. Uh, you've a massive achievement, especially being one of three only in Ireland. But um, you went on then to apply for the Pre-Seed Start Fund with Enterprise Ireland, is that right? That's right, yeah. Um, so I'll just briefly explain just what the Pre-Seed Star Fund is for anybody that doesn't know. So um, it's essentially a fund to accelerate the growth of an early stage startup company, um, those companies that have ambition to succeed in global markets. Essentially it's for early stage companies to reach key technical and commercial milestones and to attract future seed funding within 6 to 18 months. And the BICs actually run regular workshops. Um, if anybody wants more information, they can register for the workshop on the Enterprise Ireland website. But I'd love to hear about how initially you found the Pre-Seed Star Fund application and then how it has helped your business to get to the stage where it's at now today. So um, once uh, once the New Frontiers program was finished for me, and I, I must say uh, to, to anybody outside, I just want to say that the first part of the New Frontiers, you know, it's your own time. It's on a Friday and a Saturday, uh, at least in Galway. Uh, and that type of thing and uh, but then you can apply to get into the second phase and once you get into the second phase you actually get a stipend to keep you going mm -hmm. which pays some bills so you can focus full-time on the job at hand so that was fantastic to have that and then in the third phase you you're in competition with your fellows and uh, on the program and that type of thing so half of you will be funded and the other half won't um, but then uh, you know once that finished and you're looking to the future and you're kind of going, okay, so where can I get extra funding from to help me get to my next milestone so that I can actually get that investment? And so you, you see that there's the pre-seed start fund. 
it used to be called the competitive start fund beforehand and a percentage equity would be taken in the business normally with that but now with the pre-seed start fund that's not the case so that's really attractive as well I think it's 50,000 but you can apply for 100,000 um, but the the installments are over six month time frames basically so you get the first installment for first six months if you meet your milestones you get the next one um, so that was really really attractive it's a convertible loan note and and there isn't any equity taken in the business at that particular point in time however um, later on uh, Enterprise Ireland have the right to invest in a, in a round at a 20% discount in a future round uh, and that's all great um, you know, because there's no equity and when you're when other investors, particularly outside of Ireland, are looking at that, they they kind of balk at maybe a 10% already equity gone for so very little um, money initially yeah. and that type of thing. So it's really good for outside investors looking in with the convertible loan notes. So it's very, very attractive. The pre-seed start fund is very, very attractive. It also, because Enterprise Ireland invest uh, are investing in the company from a business perspective, it's not a grant, it's nothing like that, it's a pure investment. It also makes you credible to uh, other investors out there. And that is, again, really, really important uh, in the business. The form itself, to fill out the form, it was fantastic to have Westbick and to uh, have a chat with Alison McGonagall. And then Mary Ryan, of course, here did a, I think it was a webinar with everybody and she quickly went through all of the different kind of questions. She kept pointing out, this is how you, this is the, I suppose, the style of filling these in and that type of thing. And it's very, very true. Um, every time you fill in an application, you get better and better at writing these things. And don't take rejection hard the first time round. I applied for the Competitive Start Fund back in 2020, way at the start when really I didn't know all that much, you know what I mean? I, I knew it was probably a great idea and that type of thing, but I wasn't really, I didn't have a firm grip on any finances at that stage or anything like that. So um, so it was rejected. And of course you feel um, a bit downbeat afterwards, but you know, you pick yourself up the next day and you carry on. And then, you know, with the various different things that you're applying for, you're getting better and better at writing these things. Um, but I must say the tips that Mary did on that webinar about making it impartial, depersonalize it. It's the company or you name the company. You say the founder, you don't say um, the person's name, you know, or you, and you remove all eyes, we's, ours, all of that type of thing. And you're very impersonal about the whole thing. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, you have to divorce the company from yourself, you know, and your <laughs> own identity as well, which is great, actually, because, you know, at the end of the day, you may be selling that company in the future and all the rest. It's not me, you know what I mean? It's the company and it's a company that uh, I'm building, which is all great. Um, but it really helps actually um, to make one a lot more objective about stuff. And even in filling in the form, it really makes it, you're being very objective about it. It's the pre-seed start fund. And a tip years and years ago, actually, by Claude Barry, uh, when she was in NUIG, I remember her saying, look, wh whoever's reading this thing or whatever organization you're sending this into, they have their own um, agenda as well. You know what I mean? And you um, you have to see, well, what is it that that... Uh, will make this succeed in their eyes. Okay, so for the pre-seed start fund and previously the competitive start fund, it's all about export. It's not about um, uh, an Irish business in Ireland only. It's all about export. So you have to be very clear about the market and you have to be ambitious as well. You know, and you have to have a vision for, 
you know, global sales, basically. I mean, if you look at, I think, the new branding for Enterprise Ireland, I think it's all global ambition, yeah. you know. So you look at who you're applying to and you see, okay, what are the key requirements for them? What are their key criteria? And if you don't really match those key key criteria, then it's it's pointless applying for it. You know, you're just wasting your time. On the other hand, if you're matching that cr key criteria and that type of thing, then definitely, you know what I mean? It's definitely for you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, people get bogged down and, you know, and I'm no different from that. You know, you can get bogged down in the day to day and you forget what your vision was originally. So um, be ambitious and really say what your, uh, your vision is. And, you know, as you're building uh, your story in that application um, and to anyone who's considering one in the future, keep in mind various different milestones that you should be meeting, you know, and say, well, listen, look, these are the milestones that I've met already in bringing forward this technology, whether you formed a company or not, it's irrelevant um, because you don't have to actually have a company at the time of applying. Um, so that you have quite a few milestones and attractive milestones under your belt um, in, in terms of the applying uh, for, the, for the grant. So it was great. Um, I had great interaction with Westpick here. I did a draft of the application and Alison McGonagall here was fantastic. She sent me back some tips and things and stuff like that. And she, you know, she was saying, you know, really, is this really what you mean here? Or is that, you know, you have to be clearer, you know, uh, take out the we's and the hours, uh, hour, hour this and, you know, that type of thing and be quite impersonal because they do escape through. And I'm a bit of a devil for I'm writing something and I will skip a word in writing it. Um, and when I'm reading backwards, I actually don't, uh, when I'm reading it afterwards, I'm reading what I intended to say, but not actually what's written there. Um, so catching those is fantastic. And then I sent it out to people that I trusted, um, and particularly people maybe I, I had already signed an NDA with, you know, so they were definitely trusted um, at that stage. So I sent it to the chair of my board, and I also sent it to um, some folks at Enterprise Ireland that um, I had been pitching to as well um, prior to this for them to maybe send me some feedback as well. Um, so then that allowed me to, um, you know, have a, I suppose, a, a, a better streamlined and, and better pitch in the application itself. And of course, Tony O'Kelly is, is fantastic with the tips that he has and everything. So whoever is the programme director for the New Frontiers, wherever that is, and that type of thing, um, get their input as well, because yeah. they will give you fantastic free, <laughs> free input, <laughs> emphasis on free, you know, uh, and that type of thing, and completely invaluable. Um, so, yeah. so that was fantastic for me then to be able to, to put forward a, a good application for that. Yeah, that's great, um, Margaret, thank you. And then just, uh, you mentioned hitting the key milestones and laying out what your milestones will be. So you applied late last year, you secured in yeah. December, so you yeah. were one of the first to get the, pre the new Pre-Seed Start Fund. So I suppose in the last six months, what has the Pre-Seed Start Fund helped your company to achieve in terms of the milestones? So I suppose, um, you know, you, the, the announcement comes out in, in December that, that we've got it and we're like, yay, this is fantastic, you know, we'll be able to hire somebody immediately and everything and stuff like that. But I guess the one thing you forget about is, okay, so while we were one company that was successful, there were 43 other companies in the pre-seed start that were also successful. And then, of course, there were some of the competitive start funds, which may have been around as well. 
uh, and that type of thing. And so the one legal company that's employed to look after all of this has to look after everybody else, not just us, basically. And so it takes time. So between, let's say, getting knowing that we had won it in December, which made a great Christmas for us, um, uh, and a great start to the new year, by the time the legals are all signed, sealed and delivered and everything is, you know, uh, every I is dotted and every T is crossed and everything, and, you know, the first instalment arriving, five to six months can have passed. So while we were really excited at the beginning and all the rest and that type of thing, um, time passed, you know, it really does when they say it'll take at least six months to get through something, they really mean that. So, and, and of course, the same goes for any other investment fund that's out there. It's not just you that they're investing in or the company that they're investing in. They're investing in anything from 43 other companies yeah. to <laughs> maybe a couple of hundred or whatever, you know, so, and it, of course it will be the one legal body that's dealing with that so between your own legal person and the the funds legal person time will pass but in the meantime what was great about it uh, is that it gives us greater visibility um, in terms of other investment funds that are out there so um, I reckon that since that announcement was made we've done in total now something like around 24 different pitches um, to uh, a lot of other investors and that type of thing and every time we're getting better and better at doing the pitching which is fantastic. The first installment for us I think was made in, in at the middle of May um, so we waited to put the ad in the newspaper until the first or not in the newspaper as it turns out but for the money to be in so that we could advertise and what we did is we did tar targeted advertising so we we used our networks basically to advertise so we sent um, our job ads to people that we knew and trusted and said to them please could you give it to people that you know and trust and that you feel um, that wholeheartedly you could recommend for this job basically um, so last week we finished our uh, interviewing and we're going to offer an R&D biologist position to two people and they will hopefully be in the company um, one by the end of July and another one by the uh, beginning of September um, and so this is now allowing us to propel um, the company forward. Before this it was myself and my co-founder working uh, in the company um, and um, you know we're not drawing down a salary or anything like that and you know and, and things you know go at a slower pace but now that we will have people actually full-time um, working in the company uh, day in day out we expect that we will be putting the pedal to the floor basically <laughs> and we will be really accelerating that we'll be really hitting our milestones so these are milestones that will make us well first of all get our technology there but also make us uh, really, really attractive to uh, outside investment mm -hmm. um, that we desperately need in order to bring the company forward again. Yes. You know, um, and that will also enable us to look for you know other kind of grants and things and stuff like that as well. So we're looking at other grants that are out there. So we're in the deep tech space. So we're targeting maybe the Disruptive Technologies Innovation Fund. We're also looking at the EIC Accelerator, but we need to have our ducks in a row in order to apply for these. Um, so the pre-seed start fund is fantastic in order to get us there. So we'll be hitting our milestones now uh, and everything. It's just, it's really exciting right now. Yeah. Uh, we're really looking forward to the next six months. Um, and then also um, what it makes us pretty attractive to outside investment. 
Once we get that outside investment, we can then uh, go for Enterprise Ireland HPSU, mm-hmm. um, so high potential startup. And again, there, uh, Enterprise Ireland will match funding basically. By doing that, we're uh, leveraging those private investment funds and we're getting matching funding again to bring us forward more steps. So um, the private investment fund's money goes further um, and we can go further. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's really fantastic, you know, um, just looking at it all and kind of going, where can we be now in the next, you know, six months? Okay, and how does that impact our, our next year to 18 months? Okay, are we going to change maybe something here to make the impact bigger in, in, instead, you know, or, or, or more, again, more streamlining it a bit better for ourselves um, in the next uh, 12 to 18 months so that we can become even more attractive again um, um, as an investment opportunity. That's fantastic, Margaret, and I think it's very just important to point out the procedure that you went through for hiring those first two key hires, because I think that's very daunting and scary time for um, founders bringing people into the company, making sure that they're the right fit. So mm. it was a very interesting strategy that you, the way that you approach that. Mm. Um, but I would also be interested to hear about how you went around finding a co-founder mm. to support your business. Okay, so at the beginning, it was just me at the very beginning and that type of thing. And, you know, while I have a vision and a, you know, kind of know where the technology should go and all the rest, I need somebody who can build that technology. So um, I started looking around for a, uh, an engineering founder, basically. So it, I started looking for somebody that I could bring into the company again um, uh, and, and from a compatibility person, person compatibility side of things. So initially I, I looked to the kind of research world and, and research academics and I had enjoyed a, a good relationship with um, a female actually engineer who was based in Canada and um, we, we had a really good relationship and everything but the academic life for her was really taking over um, it's true when they say academics are overworked um, it really is true and so she couldn't devote the, the you know the required time to the company really uh, and that type of thing so we amic- amicably parted company all of the IP etc rests with the company and all of that but then um, I started, okay, so that's, that's terrible, you know what I mean, we'll have to, how, how can we go forward? And so then I started to look beyond myself and again through the network. I had heard a really great speaker, fantastic guy, um, Adrian Boyle, who was working in the marine space and the company that he co-founded with uh, Michael Flynn was uh, Catholic's Ocean. So, um, so I had met Adrian on one or two occasions and so I reached out to Adrian and I said uh, I asked Adrian listen Adrian I'm looking for somebody with this kind of you know I had a literally a job specification for want of a better word here but I had a kind of a specification of what I needed Uh, and uh, Adrian was kind enough to introduce me actually to his co-founder so that's how I met Michael Flynn Mike Flynn I spoke with Mike I met Mike and you know I met him on a couple occasions afterwards got him to sign an NDA um, and that allowed me to speak much more openly and uh, then um, because I had coming out of New Frontiers I had a business plan already and I had a relatively good slide deck as well uh, I was able to pitch the entire business to Mike um, as I found you know he was getting interested in it uh, and that type of thing and I'm delighted that Mike decided yeah he was he was going to come on board 
Um, but we spent, once we had signed the non-disclosure agreement and all of the rest, we spent about six to nine months working together to see if we were compatible, mm -hmm. um, personality types and that type of thing, and also to see whether we were carrying our own weight as well, you know what I mean, whether we were grafting in the company basically. Because at the very beginning, you're very, I suppose, cautious about who you're introducing into the company and whether they're going to work just as hard as you, yeah. and also whether you're going to be compatible because you hear so many scare stories out there about companies failing simply because the founders couldn't get on and you know clashes and all of that sort of thing we found in, in that six to nine month time frame that we were working very well together that we were really pulling together and everything so um, then at that stage we signed a co-founders agreement or, or it's known as a stakeholders agreement fancy words you know uh, for the same sort of thing it's a stakeholders agreement so we signed that off so we're very much on the same path that agreement really says everything in it if we are great together basically and that type of thing you know there's a lot of fantastic incentives and you know great reward at the end of it but if for whatever reason you know that things go sour for us and stuff like that it also gives us the comfort of knowing that you know there's a kind of a, a almost a set process in there that will be followed yes. and that type of thing so it is a comfort going forward and um you know we're building strength on strength now and everything we're on the same you know we're on the same wavelength and, and level playing field and all of those kind of <laughs> great yeah. euphemisms and all the rest and that type of thing but it's really working well for us um, and i think what's really important is that it's it's not us individually it's us pulling together it's not our you know kind of personalities and things we know it's a business at the end of the day so we have to be impartial about it so it's what's good for the business yeah. um, and that's being really enlightening you know about being very objective you know getting to those milestones and moving forward you know and, and you have to keep a you know a cold eye on it the ugly baby thing was something I think um, Tony O'Kelly introduced me to at the very beginning. You know, when you talk about your business to people, people are not going to tell you that it's ugly, you know what I mean, because it's your baby, you know, and, and that type of thing. But you do actually have to, you know, view your baby with very objective eyes and this whole thing and stuff like that. So, you know, <laughs> seeing whether it is ugly or not is very important, actually, yeah. in the overall scheme of things. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you can be too close to the project yeah. to see the tree from the woods. Or... Yes, absolutely. And I know Mike, he was a co-founder already, so he's mm. well-versed in the startup space. Um, but for your two new key hires, was there any challenge in nearly persuading them to come on board in the startup? Well, I guess, um, uh, you know, just through the network, then I, I happen to know the individuals as well, which is a fantastic comfort for me. Um, and I guess... We've, we've hit things at the right timing for them in the same way that it's great timing for us. Um, so from that perspective, and I guess we were very clear right from the start with them as well, that, that it's a startup and that, you know, we, we have to be very flexible about everything and that, you know, even continuation of contract and that type of thing, it's all very much dependent on funding. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not a business that's already up and running and that has revenues, you know, you know what I mean? We have zero profit. There's nothing there at the moment. And just being very clear with them uh, about that. Um, and, but I'm very happy I'm touching wood here uh, that they're happy to continue with us uh, and everything and, and, and that they know that that's the case as well. So, you know, there's, there's comfort in knowing that, uh, but they're willing to give it a shot, yeah. which, is, which is fantastic, you know. Um, and there's just that kind of, I suppose, element of trust there as well between us. I suppose in terms of key advice, I'm hearing 
a couple of core messages coming from you I suppose one is leveraging your network and not being afraid to reach out and ask for help I think as well I would say you're a strong advocate for going for things and trying not to get disheartened yeah. if things don't go your way yeah, yeah because it doesn't always go your way at all like <laughs> you know but you pick yourself up yeah so is there any other I suppose key advice that you'd pass on to any any entrepreneur that's thinking about starting a business or that are at an earlier stage than you that you think is really core okay um definitely you know if if you've got an export company you know if you believe that there's uh, exports there go for the new frontiers program it's a fantastic program and it's free you know what i mean i can't stress it there's a lot of accelerators out there and they will charge you to be in their program you know so uh, the new frontiers is fantastic from that perspective um and in addition to that you just get great great advice and it's a tried and trusted program mm-hmm. and the people that you you are involved with uh, in that program, your your colleagues basically in the program and stuff like that, you actually keep with each other. So you're, I, as I said, you might see one thing and you know pay it forward, show it to somebody else and that type of thing because it may not be for you, but it might be for somebody who's actually in your your network. And that's been very good, I think. Um, and you know when you're feeling down, as you inevitably will do. There's no, nothing better than to pick up the phone and talk to somebody else and, you know, because they all share the same pain and they are all sharing the, the same, you know, not earning anything uh, for, you know, substantial period of time and that they know and they understand the position that you're in. Um, so, you know, you're using your network both in terms of knowledge, but also as a kind of support for yourself. Um, any application you put in, do put effort into it. Um, while it might not work out the first time, you can cut and paste a lot of stuff from there and just, you know, re, re um, f- fine tune it and stuff. So no application that you put in is really a waste of time. It's only a waste of time if the criteria, you know, the selection criteria at the start is, you know, you're not going to be in there at all. You know what I mean? That you're not matching anything there. Mm-hmm. That's the, then that would be a pure waste of time. But every time you're you're doing an application, you're getting better at writing these things and stuff like that. And you're actually beginning to see oh, exactly what they're looking for, you know. Yeah. And then you see in your own vision, you know, how you can actually match that. Don't get bogged down in the detail. Go for the big picture, that, that, that grand vision that you have. Um, and always remember that you're actually you're actually pitching whether you like whether you realize it or not. You're actually pitching all the time. So you're pitching to your advisory board. Um, I, you know they're on my board. They're um, they're not getting paid. I'm only paying expenses when they're coming to a, a meeting and that type of thing. But you're pitching to them as well, and to get them on board, you're pitching. You know to the people that you're applying to. You know what I mean. You're pitching to the private investors and that type of thing. And ultimately, you're you're also pitching to your employees as well. You know that they um, have faith in the business and that they have faith in in you. That you know that it will work out. Yeah. You know. Okay, well, that's great. I think we've touched on a lot there, so hopefully the episode um, will be of benefit. But if anybody does want to get in touch with you for further details, either about your company or for any opportunities, where is the best place to find you or how can they get in contact? Well, I'm in the ATU iHub um, in, here in Galway, um, and that's fantastic as well. So we have a nice space there, um, so I can be contacted there. But the easiest way to get me is actually on LinkedIn. Um, so just you know, send, send me a message on LinkedIn. I'm a member of the Awaken Hub as well. So ATUI Hub, 
anyone on the New Frontiers through Antonio Kelly or LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to get me. That's perfect. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on? or? Um, no, I'd say go for it. You know yes. what I mean? You know, put in the effort and it really goes for it. You know what I mean? I didn't expect really, I suppose, to get the pre-start fund. So I was very happy to get it. Um, even that Women Tech EU award, I didn't think, you know what I mean, that I would get that. I yeah. thought there would be hundreds of other women who would be ahead of me. I was almost shocked to actually get it. Um, but it was such a welcome addition to the company, getting the award as a recognition in and of itself, credibility. Mm-hmm. But then women out there, it's Women Tech EU. So if you've got a tech company um, and it's any, any kind of deep tech space, um, so it's applied to any kind of a biological problem, if you like. 75,000 into your company, it's not bad. And uh, on top of that, you get put into a women leadership program as well. So um, apply, apply, apply is what I would say. And back yourself, I yeah, think. Yeah, back yourself, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so as our regular listeners know, we have a little closing tradition on this podcast. So it's a quick fire round. So I'm just going to shoot the questions at you and just whatever comes into your head. So do you prefer to work from the home or the office? Hmm. During COVID, it was the home, but I'm getting sick of the home. I can't wait to be full-time, you know what I mean, in the ATU iHub. Um, once our insurances are in place, we'll, I'll be in there full-time. Um, you, being away from home, there's a very much a, a, a divorce of home life and, and, and work life, and it's so important. Um, and you can be a hell of a lot more objective, actually, in a workspace environment. Yeah, and I'm sure it's difficult to not bring it home with you, especially if you're, if you're staying in the house. Well, it's great because it kept bills low. Yeah. You know, it keeps the bills low when you're working from home. So there is there are great advantage, advantages to it. So I wouldn't knock it too much, um, but it will be good to get back into a proper office environment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Apple or Windows? Oh, I'm a Windows person. We got a tablet, an Apple tablet, and I was shocked that um, it couldn't be shared with somebody else. You know what I mean? That it was my own personal kind of thing and that somebody else could not be set up on it. So I was like, oh. So I am a Windows, Windows person <laughs> as a result. Although I, I think the design is fantastic. You know what I mean? It's wonderful, absolutely amazing. You know what I mean? Highly tempted to buy, but because of that, not being able to share, I went a different route, <laughs> going a different route. Um, and do you prefer email or phone calls? Uh, email, why use email when a simple phone call can sort something out faster? So um, I suppose each has their own uh, whatever, but a phone call can sort things out very quickly um, and it can't be misinterpreted. Yeah. Sometimes a person can write something and, um, and it could be completely misinterpreted because you're not really thinking about the receiving end when you're writing it, you know. Tea or coffee? Tea. Great tea, Jen. Great. Oh, coffee too, too hard. Coffee is too hard. There's just that uh, caffeine drop at the other end. Not worth it for you. No, 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 no. Um, so LinkedIn or Twitter? I like both. Um, I used to be a prolific Twitter uh, user. Not so much anymore. I prefer LinkedIn. From It's got a professional environment and everything to it, and I, I, I prefer it. So um, LinkedIn all the way. Um, early bird or night owl? Both, I would say. Well, it, if you're a night owl, it can go to very late at night. Um, so it's early. <laughs> <laughs> But I prefer regular, you know, I'm a nine to nine kind of a person, really. But I'm not um, not adverse to filling in those applications uh, when the house is quiet or whatever. And 
that sort of thing and you're you're in the zone yeah once you're in the zone continue writing um reading or podcasts um both I found um I've uh, the one book uh, that I'm reading at the moment is uh, Brad Felt's um Venture Deals so I have it as a hard copy but I also have it um as a uh, audiobook okay. I think you you know if you're driving somewhere you can't be reading yeah. anything so it's great Podca- podcasts and all that kind of thing are fantastic you know you can you can work away and listen the same way that you listen to the radio but you're absorbing all the time yeah. So, yeah, podcast fantastic. Um, do you time block or do you wing it? Uh, a bit of both, really. Um, I do tend to time block. I, I do some voluntary work and, and, and that type of thing and stuff. So you have to time block that and you have to realize how much time you're giving free <laughs> and all of the rest and not to overdo it. I time block a couple of days of the week where it's um, focused on specific activities um, and getting where we need to go because yes. um, you can get really bogged down uh, unless you actually time block some time to think beyond um, yeah. you know c- continuing back in that vision of where you want to be and the last one is you get more or less than eight hours sleep oh that depends that really depends well that's it um thank you so much for coming on and thank you to all of our listeners for listening back in and um, we'll leave your linkedin link in the show notes if that's okay with you and if anybody wants to get in contact with you they can do so that way it's been a very valuable conversation and um i just want to say thanks for taking the time thank you chantelle it's, it's fantastic working with westpic and the application for the pre-seed fund there was a lot of over and back, over and back, and I was really, really happy. It was terrific. Come to Westwick with your application. All righty. Thank you, Chantal. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be notified about future podcasts. Please feel free to get in touch with us on social media and let us know if you found this episode beneficial. You can find us at Westwick on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. If you would like to hear more about our available supports, please get in touch via our website, www.westbic.ie. And of course, stay tuned for our next podcast episode.